Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Today we have Sarah Young, who is the Director of College Women's Golf Ministry with Global Golf. Sarah grew up in New Zealand and moved to Stillwater, Oklahoma on a college golf scholarship at Oklahoma State University. She was a standout student-athlete and excelled in her freshman year, earning all Big 12 freshman team honors. One day before she was supposed to return back to Stillwater, she and her father were in a severe head-on collision car wreck. It took paramedics over two hours to get her out of what was left of the car, and she suffered a traumatic brain injury and short-term memory loss. In this show, she talks about her journey from being a person whose identity was based in athletics and golf, as well as overcoming what many would tell her was never possible, which was to play the sport she loved again. Through many individual support and encouragement and her own discipline and determination, she trained and was able to get back to playing. Sarah's story is a great encouragement to never let anyone tell you you can't do something. Her faith story is incredible and she's making a huge impact on so many. Her story has made a significant impact on me and I'm really excited to share it with you guys today. So let's go ahead and get to the show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. Today I've got a special guest, uh, Sarah Young who is the Director of College Ministry at Global Golf. So thank you for being here, Sarah. Hey, Bailey. Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, if you wouldn't mind, give us a little context to your background and and where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up. Okay. So I'm from New Zealand, which is probably the accent that you can hear. Uh, (laughs) I came over to the United States in 2006 on a college golf scholarship uh, to Oklahoma State University. Um, I now live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, where I have my husband, Kyle, who is from Oklahoma and, um, and our seven month year old son, his name is Zealand. And, uh, and now I'm working in, in ministry with, with global golf. Yeah, absolutely. Well, is golf, was that pretty, uh, pretty big deal down in New Zealand when you're growing up? Yeah. So I, uh, no, um, I am one of four girls. I have an identical twin sister. Um, my dream when I was little, when I grew up playing golf, uh, sorry, when I grew up was uh, to be a, be a professional soccer player. Uh, my, I, I dreamed of being the Manchester United soccer team. My dad okay. is actually from Belfast, so um, in, in Northern Ireland. So he told me I had what it took uh, to be the next George Best, which was <laughs> hilarious because, you know, I was a girl, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> and then it wasn't until... Uh, I had a bike accident when I was a kid, um, splitting my kneecap and putting an end to my dream of being a professional soccer player that, that I came across golf. So, um, I started playing golf when I was about 12 years old. Uh, I represented New Zealand, um, when I was 14 years old and, uh, and then, um, just had this, this dream of, of coming to America to play college golf. And I wasn't sure how, how to make that happen until one time when I was about 19, um, I was playing in, in Sydney, representing New Zealand. And I came across, at that time, the head golf coach. Her name was Laura Matthews, and uh, she was playing for Canada. And, 
And then she was like, hey, do you want to come to Oklahoma? <laughs> I was like, oh, Oklahoma? Sure, <laughs> that'd be great. And uh, I went home to New Zealand and I told mum and dad that, um, hey, uh, this probably was early in the year. And I said, oh, I'm going to move to Oklahoma in August. And they were like, where's that? Like, yeah. I don't know, but it's in America. So that's uh, how I ended up here. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a great story. I love that. Going from New Zealand to Oklahoma. Now, were your parents, were they pretty active in athletics? You obviously spoke to your dad being a soccer fan, but was that something that was around the house, around your sisters growing up? Um, not as much. I mean, um, my dad was an avid, avid soccer fan. Um, I have an identical twin sister, and the only way that they could tell us apart was uh lauren got got given the pink booties and i got given the blue ones so that automatically made me the tomboy of the family and so i was kind of the sports i was kind of the son that my dad always wanted right um so the rest of the girls were pretty girly uh, the other three girls my sisters and and i would go to soccer with dad um, but i always just had this kind of this dream of doing something good with my sport you know um mm-hmm. yeah just been a huge sports been my whole life yeah we'll talk too about the level of dedication and the work that you have to put in because it's very easy you can you can say oh yeah well i represent new zealand i got a chance to go to oklahoma state uh, yeah. for college but talk about the work that you had to put in to be able to get to the level where you represented your country and then obviously yeah. going and having a chance to play college yeah that's so good bailey um i was really blessed with being like growing up in new zealand they have something called kind of like the grassroots mentality that you just kind of work really really hard um, if there's a will there's a way um, and then when you have that kind of drive um, they also had a really good talent id program um, so they would pick out um, athletes who uh, they would spot as having um, talent id they had potential um, and so i was blessed from an early age with um, professionals in high performance sport who took me aside and taught me uh, taught me how to do time management and, and how to plan out plan out the hours of my week uh, even so as a high school student at the age of 14 yeah. I'd planned out every hour of my day uh, I would wow. wake up at five in the morning I'd train in the gym and then uh, going to practice at lunch times and after school and um, and those types of things are really amazing and then once we would get into this development squads they called them we would get access to physiotherapists and uh, uh, sports psychologists and and all like and you would have a team of people that would work to you together um, to to get you into um, the best kind of shape possible um, to try and achieve to the highest degree yeah so, yeah yeah there's a lot a lot in there but were there anything in particular that you really look back on that take away that still translates to what you do today in terms of maybe time management or sports psychology or things like that? Yeah, it was kind of interesting. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, one of the things that has really stuck out to me was learning. Uh, one of my mentors, she used to, she taught me about KPIs. And at that time, I thought it was just a sport thing, right? And then I've since got my MBA. And when KPIs came into it, key performance indicators, I, I knew what that was. But um, she taught me from a young age to figure out five or six things 
that were what made me function well. And so um, one of them was uh, definitely, uh, I called it like technique, uh, which was in my golf, which now I put towards my work. Another one was the area of my life of relationships. Uh, another was my physical uh, health, and my, my mental health, which is now my spirituality. Um, and then another one being my relationships. And so those areas in my life uh, are things that I con constantly um, or consistently would check in, like, how am I doing in these areas? Are they balanced? Are they doing well? And um, where do I need to put more effort into? Um, and that kind of really helped me um, direct where my energies were going. Um, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, one of the things you see, not just in high performance and athletes, but also people in business, any type of endeavor, if you can develop a, a plan mm -hmm. and put all of your focus and energy towards that plan, in a sense, you're in a, in a way putting yourself on autopilot to go in the direction you want to go, because you know, mm -hmm. the steps that you're going to take to, to achieve what you're setting out to achieve. So it's great that you had those core principles of the things that you wanted to make sure you were working on or, or good at every single day to get you to the level and the outcome that you wanted to see as well. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, KPIs are, are definitely very important for sure. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk a little bit about, you say you got to play against, uh, was it the OSU coach at the time that was uh, from Canada? Is that right? Yeah. Uh, that, that was Laura Matthews. She was in, in the senior team. Uh, in the senior women's team for Canada, and I was in, I was in New Zealand's uh, like development junior team. Uh, but that was that was really great. I, if I could be completely honest with you, Bailey, I don't think she knew what she was getting herself into bringing a, a raw New Zealand to Oklahoma. And um, I think many many uh, who knew me back then would probably say I was like I was pretty pretty fresh freshman getting off. I, I say getting off the boat, but getting off the plane when I arrived in, in Stillwater, uh, I really did have no clue uh, what I was getting myself into. I think I remember saying to the person on the plane next to me when they asked me where I was going, and they said, oh, I said, oh, I'm going to Stillwater, Oklahoma. And they're like, where? I'm, like, <laughs> I'm going to Stillwater, Oklahoma. And they're like, Oklahoma? You, and you're a New Zealander going to Oklahoma? And um, I hadn't done much research. I joke that, but it's not really a joke. I, I really thought still water meant that there would be water here. <laughs> and the first person I met was actually Donnie Dar. Um, he was the assistant coach at Oklahoma State at the time. And I joke when I see Donnie and Alan now, um, I think they still kind of shake their head. At, I mean, I love it. I'm in Stillwater now. I don't know. It's tw 2022 and I met them in 2006. And now I'm, you know, coming in tow with, with my son, Zealand, and they're looking at me. They just, I'm sure they shake their head of like, how on earth did you survive? I'm telling you, Bailey, <laughs> those men, like, bless them because they, <laughs> they, they know, they know the 19 year old Sarah that left, left New Zealand. Um, and, I'm telling you, I came here as a kid who thought that she was an adult, right? And then, uh, and now I'm an adult who kind of thinks she's still a kid, right? <laughs> Isn't that weird when you're 34, 35, you think like last week I was talking to a college girl and she just 
described an older woman with kids who's like 35. And I was like, wait, I'm an older woman with kids. Like I got described as I'm that old woman now. Right. Um, So it's pretty funny to think of how I got here to, to Oklahoma. Um, Though, yeah, there's been a lot of in between um, that has brought me to to today actually. Uh, So, yeah. Yeah. Well, do you feel like you're naturally good at taking risks and stepping into things that are uncomfortable? And was that uncomfortable or challenging to leave New Zealand, go all the way to the United States, go to a place that you really didn't have much idea about besides there was good golf there and there was an opportunity to continue to play. Uh, yeah. Definitely there was minimal water in still water. So there was no, yeah. no water. <laughs> but yeah. Talk about maybe taking risks or jumping outside your comfort zone. Was that something that was challenging for you? Yeah. Uh, actually no not when I was 19 but now it's a bit tougher right because you you know a little bit more um Uh it it wasn't it wasn't tough back then um the the risks and the the hard stuff was um and I think every everyone but every college athlete who I who I still talk to now the hard part is the unknown you know being worried about taking a risk not knowing what what it's going to mean what it's going to what's going to happen um the biggest kind of shift in, in everything um has been from that 19 year old who jumped on a plane to come over here to myself now 30 34 uh has been um in my senior year in college I became became a Christian and had found a faith in God and in Jesus and came come to know that like I actually don't have to figure it all out you know, and that's been the biggest thing. Um, and I'm not saying like right from the time that I, I had my faith, it's been kind of a journey in that. Um, but the biggest, the coolest thing has been like when I look back on everything over the, that has happened in my journey is realizing that it's actually worked out better than I could have hoped for. And I wish, probably wish I would have taken more risks in terms of, um, trusting that I'm going to be okay. Like I don't have to, I don't have to know all the steps. I don't have to, uh, it's okay to fail, <laughs> you know, like it's okay to, um, yeah, to, it's, okay, it's okay to fail. That's been probably the biggest thing that I've got out of it. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that's such great advice because it is so scary and the fear of the unknown ultimately mm-hmm. holds a lot of people back. But mm-hmm. sometimes when we are fresh, energetic and ready to just try things, we're willing to do that without maybe having that fear overcome us or mentally, you know, let mm-hmm. it sit in our heads and hold us back from uh, maybe an opportunity that's presenting itself. So that's, that's powerful in what you had to say. When you got to Stillwater, what was it like that first year as a freshman, uh, being on the golf team, being at school, yeah. going to college? What was that like? Um, <laughs> I... I, I, I described my freshman year as being, being awesome. I, I still feel like I was, I was pretty naive. I was the person on the team that would show up to an event and it wasn't until the final day that we had to wear uh, an orange and black orange shirt and black shorts where I would be like, ah, I didn't bring my orange shirt. Like, where is that? Like I was that freshman. Um, And, uh, but I was all kind of like, I never really clicked or never, never really got it um and I kind of I think I guess I was just one of those um one of those kids that was always nearly near a 
disaster, but the disaster never really happened. If that's a good way of describing it, like okay. I kind of was was kind of lucky, but would do things and then think if I had a bad result, I'd be unlucky. Um, and then, um, and then in my sophomore year, it kind of caught up with me. I um, I caught in. I like I fell into kind of the what happens in college, you know. Um, I went out one night with a friend who um, had come to visit me from New Zealand. She was herself a high performance athlete. She's now been a three-time Olympian. Um, So she took her sport very seriously. And when she came to visit me, I thought it'd be great to entertain her by taking her out to a local bar, even though we're both underage. And so we both got arrested. Um, And that was actually ended up being one of the real shifting and changing moments in my life. Um, I remember sitting in court next to Alan Braddon and Alan Braddon's like, well, Kiwi, <laughs> you, you, you've really done, done a first for, uh, for cowgirl golf. I've, I've never been, I've never sat in court next to a, next to a woman before, you know, like he was supporting me. Um, but I was kind of a bit lost. Um, I got into some trouble with that, with that fake ID. Um, but I didn't quite wake up from that. Um, and then it wasn't until, I was in the middle of doing like, I had to do a lot of community service. I was pretty stressed out. And then I went home to New Zealand um, to try and reset my life and get back on track. I um, had spent all this time with the right trainers, the right um, golf coaches and trying to get my life back to like being that high performance athlete that I knew I was. Um, And then uh, the day before I was due to fly back to the US, my father, my dad and I, we had gone to the beach to spend the day together. And on the way home, which was about an hour and a half drive, uh, we were on a, in a head on car accident. Um, and my, my passenger door got hit two times with, the, with cars traveling at like 70, 75 miles an hour. Mm. Um, I don't remember the, the impact. I, I was completely um, out of it. I ended up having a traumatic brain injury um, and I spent, I think it was eight months in recovery at home in New Zealand before coming back to Stillwater. Mm. And that was absolutely like life, life changing. Um, and I would say a real defining moment in my college experience, which, uh, yeah, was kind of a, it kind of woke me up, um, and changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, there's a lot. And just those couple of stories right there, but from, you know, what I've heard, you were, you know, a great, great player coming off freshman year, get to be all the big 12. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're, you're doing well, um, in athletics and you definitely, obviously you were trying to have a little fun on the side and, and, you know, some things happen, but you know, when you go through something where you go back to reset and you're in New Zealand, then you have an experience like that a day before you're about to go back to Stillwater. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine like, what are you excited to go back? And then all of a sudden that happened and it kind of just readjusted everything. Yeah. 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 Um, what had happened is I lost my identity, right? Because I'm not sure. Um, I don't know much of your story, but I'm sure there have been things in your life that you have been like, oh I'm Bailey the hmm, you know or I am and so for me I was 
I was Sarah Bradley, the golfer. And um, Sarah Bradley, the golfer who played college golf at Oklahoma State, you know, we flying in private jets, got to play at Carson Creek every day. You know, I'm home in New Zealand and, you know, I was a New Zealand golf representative. And so I was Sarah Bradley, the golfer. Um, but when you get all of that taken away from you, and so for me, I um, completely defined myself by the fact I played golf, but also on top of that, I didn't have a memory. So I couldn't, my short-term memory was gone. So I would look in the mirror and I'd think, who is that looking back at me? Like, I couldn't remember why I was there. Mm. Um, or if I met a stranger or, or even a friend, they didn't know what to talk to me about because I couldn't talk to them about golf because I no longer played golf. And so that whole recovery process um, was really a, a season of, um, am I okay just being Sarah? Like, is the world going to accept me as I am without me being, you know, this this person that I had created myself to be? Um, and the cool thing was, is I found out actually life was better without those titles that I'd given myself. And, you know, um, Alan, Coach Braddon and Coach Dar and, um, and you know, everyone that I'd spent time with, they, they still loved me as Sarah regardless of whether or not I could play golf. Um, so I'm not sure if that answers your question, but. Yeah, absolutely. No, there's, and there's a lot in there. And even on the wreck, you know, I've read some things where it, it took about two hours or so to get you out of, out of the vehicle. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. battling through that where you have, you know, short-term memory loss and, and all those things you just talked about, but within all of that and what you just said is, what is your, how do you identify yourself? Who are you? The questions that you ask yourself, what is it that you really define yourself as really matters. And I think now for many people, it can be in our jobs. You know, typically when you go and meet someone, what do you do? You know, this is what I do. So, and that's how we define ourselves or even, especially in athletics, it's more, more about performance based. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you're doing well within a game and you achieve, a, you know, goals that you set, you feel validation from that. Mm -hmm. But when you don't, you feel less than the person that you feel like you should be. And mm -hmm. so it's really a powerful story uh, going through that, understanding, you know, what your identity is. You know, there's a, a quote that I love. Um, you know, the, the question always is, you know, who are you? And basically the answer, you know, with faith base, it's, it's you know whose you are and you know who mm -hmm. you are. I and I've, I've always loved that because it is so true. Because mm -hmm. it, outside of all this stuff that we can easily think about validation through a lot of things, we know uh, what really matters. So mm -hmm. um, that's a powerful story and a powerful question. Mm -hmm. What what else would you say? Why do people get so caught up in identifying with maybe the wrong things? That's mm. yeah, so good. Um, I think it's because we feel like it's on us to bring value to ourselves. And back then, like, I've never actually thought of my story this way, right, um, when talking about identity. But I remember, like, looking in the mirror and being like, I've got nothing to bring. Like, I've, I can't do anything. Mm. Like, I can't remember anything. I can't play golf anymore. I can't, you know, I'm not living in America anymore. And then when you talk about whose we are, like, back then, I didn't know. I didn't know Jesus, right? I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, but even just the, like, the thinking now of, like, 
well, we get caught up in, in that identity because we feel like it's on us to perform or it's on us to bring value, but it's, it's Christ that brings value to us. Um, it's, we're made in his image. Um, and we, um, we're, and all the days are formed for us, right? Before they came to be like, it's crazy to think that, that God knew that he was going to use that car accident to impact me. Um, I, I, I was, uh, reading of past people that you'd had on your podcast and I saw that you'd had Mike McGrath on your podcast and Mike McGrath is a huge influence um even in my faith uh because he was the men's head coach when I was on the women's team and when I was in recovery at 25 they, the I had all these crazy tests and they told me that 25 percent of your brain is functioning and I was like, who, who even knows what that means, right? But that's what this test had told me. And I got back here to, to, to college and I was determined that I was going to get my golf back. And, um, but I had had a doctor tell me like, you know, it's time for you to like give up golf. Like you'll never be able to get your brain better. You'll never be better again. And I was devastated. Um, and Mike McGrath, I love him. Like I love him. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I remember he pulled me aside um, into his into his office and he sat me down and he and he was like he, he told me a story just a personal story of his own and he just he looked at me and he was like don't you ever let anyone tell you you can't do something and he goes as soon as someone tells me I can't do something I I will go and go ahead and go do it and like I don't know what it was in that but he shared that with me and I was like, I'm not going to let anyone tell me that I can't get better. Like I can't recover from my head injury. And so I turned my head injury recovery into a training. So I trained like, which meant I had to sleep every day, which is ironic, right? That's what training was for me. I had to sleep three times a day for 20 minute naps. Um, nap, napping became an art for me. And I can tell you how to take the best naps. You actually have to get into your PJs. You have to shut <laughs> and hop under the bed and set an alarm clock. But I had to do that three times a day. Um, yeah, I went again, went on a little bit of a tangent, but that's just no, what that's that great. took me back to was Mike McGrath telling me that um, there's always a way. Yeah, what a powerful story. And, you know, I've heard so many, you know, having him on, he's got a great, great story, great testimony, but mm -hmm. what, when you mention that, what thing, one thing that rings out to me is that there's people in our lives that come into our lives at certain moments and they speak, speak truth or they speak, uh, either whether that's good or bad things that we want to hear, things we don't want to hear, or things of words of encouragement. Mm -hmm. And when you have people around you doing that, it enables you to have an epiphany or to have just a little bit more encouragement to go in the direction you need to go. And I think that's something in everyone's life and everyone's story. There's always people like that. And mm -hmm. it could be early on, it could be later, but there's always people. And also we can all do that to other people as well. Mm -hmm. You know, whenever you feel yeah. that little, little need to, you know, speak up or just do something nice, you know, it's, it mm -hmm. goes back to what you talked about. Just do it, you know, take the risk yeah. and just yeah. do it. And so yeah. what coach McGraw did for you in that moment, you remember it, his words were impactful. And you obviously developed a plan and twisted uh, what definitely, you know, most people consider negative into a positive and, and starting to train 
and mm-hmm. uh, great, great advice on the the naps. We we'll definitely definitely have to put yeah. that one <laughs> put that one in my book. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if those are anymore. I have a child, so okay. <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got a good teacher then. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, one of the things whenever you are going through the training of of kind of getting better. What did that look like from your perspective in terms of just having the ability to say, you know what, I'm not going to let someone tell me I can't get better. I'm going to get better and I'm going to play golf again. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to understand what your weaknesses are. And that was for me, Um, especially with a head injury. I don't know if you've ever known anyone getting over a head injury. Um, It's kind of like a stroke patient. There are just, things you you can't do and um and the and I think so part of it was knowing what my weaknesses were um also knowing what my strengths are was really important and so um the next amazing thing that I was really blessed with um was the opportunity to go and um continue to play golf up at Kent State University in Ohio um and so uh, there I had a golf coach, his name was Mike Morrow, who used to tell me every day at practice, play to your strengths. Um, and often in life, we try to like, we always focus on our weaknesses and waste all of our time, like trying to strengthen our weaknesses and never focus on our strengths. And uh, that was just a real positive thing for him to tell me. I was aware of my weaknesses, which meant like, um, it all came around like my energy levels and I had to again like sleep all the time when I needed to sleep but the strengths I had um, in that time was around my course management and um, and just my my strength actually in golf became my love for the game just this excitement to be alive and to be playing golf and the gift of living a you know getting a second chance at life all these things that was so exciting for me um, to really be that person when I was playing golf that's what he would always encourage me I actually played better golf than I ever played before um, going into play at Kent State like that Uh, so I would say uh, yeah play playing to my strengths but being aware of being aware of my weaknesses uh, was huge and then the next thing I would say was would be like surround yourself with um, amazing people I mean amazing not to overuse that word, but with people that um, are really going to love you well and celebrate with you um, and uh, just positive uh, people who are going to continue to point you in the right direction and not people who want to kind of steal steal your joy. I would say that was probably the two most important things for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want to, I definitely don't want to downplay your story as well just getting back to playing golf was a -hmm. huge feat um, for you. And then getting to go play at Kent State. And like you talked about having a coach that told you to really focus on your strengths, but also having a coach that identifies with that second uh, point you made about having really good people around you that help you is is, uh, pretty critical. But from Kent State, you get a chance to go on and play professionally. Is that correct afterwards? Yeah. Yeah, I did for a year. Um, I actually went home to New Zealand and I gave myself two years um, to play, continue. It took me about two years between like, I had two years between my two, my last competitive round in college and my 
next, like when I played for Oklahoma State and then it was two years until the next competitive round when I was playing for Kent State. So, um, so I kind of had two years off, off competitive golf because of the injury. And so I gave myself two years after I had graduated. So I graduated in 2011. Um, and then I went to um, Q school, LPGA Q school in 2013. And so I played two years of amateur golf back in New Zealand. Um, my parents have a cafe, like a cafe restaurant. And so, uh, and I was trained as a sous chef for, I trained for sous chef for, you know, for a while down there, um, playing golf by day and cooking by night. Um, really? So yeah, that was, that was, and then preparing obviously to, to come and play Q school. And so I wouldn't trade any of that for the world. It was, um, such an incredible experience. And I think, um, now the Lord's really using that experience for me as I um, speak with, with college seniors who, who are getting ready to go to Q school. And it was the most intense week of my life. Um, and, and yeah, so. Yeah. What about Q school is, is challenging and intense? Well, it's what we've been dreaming of, right. For the last, you know, since we're, since I was a 12, 12 years old, um, it's, they're two really, really long weeks and you have girls who are out there are like rookies, like I was. And then you have women who have been on tour for 20, 25 years who find themselves back at Q school. So it's pretty kind of awkward when you're there for the first time and you're really excited, but then there's also people there who are there and then they're kind of, um, I don't want to say they're mad for being there, but they're not excited to be there. Um, mm -hmm. And so it was a kind of a three, three month journey for me um, being away from New Zealand. Uh, there was a, there's a huge financial part that goes with it. Um, I was traveling by myself. Um, it was, it was the first stage. There's three stages and I made it through to the, um, the second stage. Uh, but it was, it was just, it was just really intense. Um, and I met some great people along the way. Um, but it really, by the time I got home, I, I made it through the second stage. I had made, uh, enough status to come back to the United States and play on the Symmetra tour the following year. And that was my plan. Um, and then when I, by the time I arrived home, three months later, I got home to find out that my dad was sick. Um, the, the thing that had caused our, our accident in, 2000 and, in 2008, this was five years later, uh, was actually um, my dad had had, um, a, had a split in one of his aortic valves that needed to be fixed. So he needed open heart surgery. Uh, so it was kind of a, a really intense time in, in our lives. We weren't sure if dad was going to make it through. And um, so I made the decision to stay back in New Zealand and help mum and dad in, in their restaurant. And because uh, I knew how to cook, right? I knew how to run the <laughs> restaurant. Uh, it wasn't the dream that I had pictured by any stretch of the imagination. And I just remember thinking, how on earth can I be living my dream in America one moment and then the next moment be back here in New Zealand uh, working in a kitchen, trying to uh, trying to figure out where, what's just happened to my life. And uh, being a high-performance athlete, a professional athlete, you can't take a couple of days break, let alone a four-month break. And so uh, 
it's kind of like I describe it as like a, a train going at 100 miles an hour and then having a stop. It takes a lot for the momentum to stop it. Hmm. And then to get that momentum going again, I mean, by the time it was time to come back to the States, I'm like, I like I had sponsors lined up. I had, I'm like, I just don't know whether I'm willing to make this investment to go back out on tour after not playing golf for the last four months. Um, so I ended up getting a, a phone call randomly off the cuff. I get, get a phone call from a woman named Annie Young and she I knew her because she was an All-American from Oklahoma State University um, and she had been a previous um, golf coach at OSU who is now coaching at Colorado State and she was like hey um, this is Annie Young sorry for the random phone call but um, will you come and be my assistant and I was like oh well I'm gonna go play golf and um, on tour for a while and she was like I think you should come and be my assistant and so I took the risk, right? I boarded a plane, came over here. And uh, that's how I, that was kind of my entrance into, into college coaching was being her assistant. And um, so. Yeah. Was that ever on your radar at all? Coaching? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what it was, but I thought that I was going to, to be a good coach, I was going to have to be a good player first. Uh-huh. That no one would take me seriously until I performed on the RPGA level. Um, I just didn't want to admit that. Like, I just thought that, you know, like, sure, everyone, I just tell everyone that I wanted to be, you know, the number one golfer in the world. Um, but really, I wanted to be working with the number one girlfriend in the world, you know, like, <laughs> you know, or have had some type of impact on her life. Um, but yeah. Yeah, well, and you obviously are. But one of the things I want to dive into as well is you talked about faith. Where did your faith Uh, become important in your life and how did that come come about well you talked earlier about um taking the risk to say something to someone I told you about Mike McGrath um when he told me um not not to let someone tell you you couldn't do something and so at that moment I decided okay well I am gonna I am gonna transfer I'm gonna go to Kent State where they trusted that I was gonna get better they gave me a scholarship without seeing me swing a golf club. Um, and the day I was leaving Stillwater, uh, Alan Braddon, um, who is now the men's head coach at OSU, uh, I always get a little bit like choked up when I when I think about this moment. Uh, he he took me. We were down in the one of the back team range areas, and um, he just pulled me aside and he and he gave me a Bible. And he shared his story with me. Um, he, you know, he talked about um, his life as, as a tour pro. You know, he was an All-American with Tiger Woods. Um, he, he talked about what mattered in life to him. Um, and it was about being the best golfer he could possibly be. And, and he said until he had, he had a son. And now he's got three sons. But back then, um, he was just a new father when he was playing on tour. And he was taught, he, he shared with me his, his testimony on how he came to know the Lord. Um, I really, at that time, really admired Alan and was thankful for him. Um, he gave me a Bible and I was like, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> the Bible, right? Um, and he's the type of guy that isn't like, doesn't, I mean, he's pretty private in his faith. Um, so there may be people who would hear this and be like, really, Alan Braden, he gave you a Bible? But he did. And 
that act was pretty, pretty like, um, I mean, I would say it saved my life. I was in pretty low place when that happened. I didn't come to know Jesus then. I think I carried the Bible with me for another two years um, until one day I was um, in Ohio, pretty mad, very mad because uh, I was walking in snow and it was summer in New Zealand and my whole family were at the beach and I was in snow in <laughs> Kent, Ohio. And I was just thinking like, what's happened to my life? Like, how did I get here? I was so mad and so angry. I kept on thinking about like this golfing Mecca and Stillwater, Oklahoma that had come from. And I now live in the snow in Ohio. Who, who lives in Ohio, right? That's what I was thinking. And I was so upset. And uh, I looked up and there was this guy walking towards me and he was blind and he was walking with his little walking cane and he was singing la di da di da di da And I remember looking at him going, why is he so happy? And we were walking into the same building and uh, I held the door open for him and he walked in and he said, why, thank you. And I said, no worries. And he drops his cane and he goes, wait, you're from New Zealand? And I was like, yeah. And he pulled me in and he gave me this big hug. And he's like, my, my pastor is from New Zealand. And I was like, okay. And uh, anyway, he, we were talking and he said to me, have you ever seen me on campus before? And I said, well, actually, yeah, I have. And he said, well, next time you see me, can you stop me and say hello? Because I won't see you. Ha <laughs> ha. And I was like, I'm like, okay. Well, whenever I would start feeling sorry for myself um, and hating my life, I would inconveniently cross paths with Michael. And every time I would see Michael, he would pull me in and give me a hug and say, Jesus loves you in, in my ear. And then one day he led me to the middle of, campus and he opened up his his well I think it's called a braille the thing that they talk on uh, they read on with their hands and he started he just shared the gospel with me and um broke down in tears and um and said for he was pierced for our transgressions and um the punishment he he wore and he just told me why he why he's alive and shared with me about the lord um and it wasn't until uh, I hadn't seen, I haven't seen Michael since that day. I haven't seen him again. Um, but then uh, I was back in New Zealand in a pretty low place again, right? I'm that that kind of person that I can just get it done. I'll, I'll just figure it out. And when stuff gets hard, I'll just work harder. Or when something's not working, I'll figure out a way to make it work. Um, but I was in a situation that was pretty bad. And um, I was sick of being in pretty bad situations because I'm a good person. And like, but why do I keep on being unlucky, right? Um, and one day I was just uh, walking around a lake in New Zealand. It was pouring with rain and I uh, had an iPod in my ears. An iPod, you know, they used to exist. And now they're just iPhones, but this was an iPod. Well, that was and, a long time uh, ago. So, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, right? <laughs> I'll have trouble explaining that to my son one day. But oh, yeah. um, a song came on and it was called Lead Me to the Cross. And I was like, how did this get here? Like, I've never heard this song before. Um, it, there used to be something called LimeWire. <laughs> do you remember LimeWire? Where you weren't supposed to download music, but you I, did. I think I do. I actually, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, never, I, I never use it though. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, so anyway, I was listening to the lyrics to the song, Lead Me to the Cross. And um, 
yeah and I stopped and I just said like really God like are you real I'm having a real hard time believing you know like I was arrested <laughs> I nearly I nearly died I, I couldn't play golf I had to leave Oklahoma State I had this bad relationship this bad you know like all these things I just listed like I was so mad at this whatever God this was right and I said if if you're real you have to show me and I turned the corner and no word of a lie um there written across the dirt and the path was I love you Sarah yeah and I stopped and I was like oh really and I mean I mean, I could have reasoned that away, but I just knew in that moment that that message was for me. And I, yeah, in that moment, I, I fell to my knees and I said, all right, like, I will follow you, Lord. Um, I don't know how, but I will. And uh, that was 2010. And, uh, and to this day, like, that's every morning. It's like, all right, Lord whatever you have for me today, I'm going to follow you. So that, that is an incredible story. And just having that song in your iPod, you didn't put it there. And then seeing that in the sand, in the dirt, I mean, that's pretty yeah. incredible, you know, and, and I wanted to make this point too, because you talked about coach at Oklahoma state, coach Bratton, you talked about the guy at Kent state that was blind. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that's been mentioned before in terms of faith is just, Sometimes it's not, it's not what we say, but it's our actions first. Now, I don't know your situation with coach Bratton, but I'm sure that, you know, he, he was there whenever you were in court that day. Yeah. I remember you saying that, but, but one of the yeah. things that, that I think about is that, you know, he has developed a, a level of trust with you beforehand, before he did mm -hmm. all that. He cared for you as a person, I would assume. Mm -hmm. And so when he did that, it wasn't necessarily something that was it, it was a little crazy, but it's not that crazy because he cared for you. He wanted to do something that he cared for you about. And then you get to see the actions of the blind man. Like you talked about it before you even talked about him. You're talking about how he had this, this joyful spirit about him that you're like, why is he so happy? And then all of a sudden mm -hmm. things play out. So God, I feel like plants these seeds in us sometimes. And sometimes we're maybe not ready for it, but they're planted through people, through experiences, through things. And then obviously the story you just described is incredible about what happened on your walk. Mm. And I think that that is, you know, there's no certain way that it all works, but it all unfolds differently. And mm. as you can tell from your story, what a powerful story. And now what you're doing to make an impact um, in the same way that some of those people you just described have made on you to other, other women and men, you know, throughout mm. life. And I think that's just a really cool concept of, you know, what you're doing and diving into that, you know, kind of describe what you're doing now. You obviously were coaching and now you're working in global golf. Cause I want to honor your time as we wind down here, but just describe yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah. And so I was, a uh, um, had the opportunity to join global golf, um, back in 20 January, 2020, we launched a college women's golf ministry. Um, and now when I was coaching, um, I had, you know, hoped that someone would start a women's ministry for golfers because we really needed it and I had approached college golf fellowship there um, the men's vision who are absolutely doing an incredible job um, with sharing the gospel to uh, college men 
golfers across the country there just was nothing for women and you know the suggestion came well why don't you start something for women I'm like ministry full-time ministry you've got to be kidding me no way who would do that right uh well don't ever say never um and so the Lord called me into into ministry and um January 2020 not knowing that uh he knew that the COVID was about to hit us all I didn't and so um went in with the goal okay so there is 550-ish women's golf teams across the nation Um, that's a lot of college golfers a lot of females um, wanting to reach them with um, just introducing them to the love the love of Jesus that um, I've experienced Um, and it's been beautiful how how it's organically been happening you know I think my my motto was one relationship at a time it's getting to know one one person not getting to reach all 550 teams all at once at a at like this deep pretty shallow it's about getting to know like um one person two people three and and just getting to know everything i can about them um loving them well asking them questions meeting them where they're at um and then i love watching that they they go on forward and they do it to, you know, they're meeting with girls and then those girls are meeting with girls. And um, that's kind of how, how Jesus did it with, with his disciples. And um, my goal obviously is to widen the ministry and to have more mentors around the country. Um, But that's kind of what I'm doing at the moment is just getting the word out, um, out to girls um, across the country yeah that's that's awesome what a great uh great thing that you're doing within women's golf and you know as we wind down i've got a fire round for you but just a thought that popped in my head as you were talking a little bit you mentioned figure it out you're good at figuring things out and so you can see throughout your story you go after things with tenacity to succeed um and i think a lot of people can relate with that is they want to Mm -hmm. figure things out we're willing to grind it out until we see the results we want to see um but when I think of that point, when we think about faith, I was just reading a book the other day that's fantastic. I am John Mark Comer wrote a book, but um, I think there's a, you know, there's this balance of like those traits that you had that sometimes overshadowed maybe faith and, and where, you know, it's easy for us to want to, you know, do things on our own and figure things out and make things happen. You know, when we have faith, we know that God is the one who makes things happen. But mm-hmm. there's a balance. You have to work hard for it. You know, it's mm-hmm. not just there's a surrender, but there's also a work that's put in it. And you know that no matter what happens, you're going to do the work, but God's going to provide the results. Mm-hmm. You're just you're the you're the the person that He's doing it through. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the tenacity that you have and what you're doing today and with the ministry, it's exciting to see where it's going because you take those same things, those strengths that you have and apply them in whatever you're doing. And that's honoring God in, in, in that way. So I think that's really cool. Um, and I just, I don't know why, I just thought that was a good connection. So anyway, but uh, yeah, yeah. there's a fire around here and I'll definitely, I'll say just a sentence and you can finish it off in a word okay. or a sentence, however you feel. You can do anything if. You have faith or trust in God. Resilience means. Not giving up. Favorite vacation spot? New Zealand. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) 
focus is? Loving what you do. Uh, favorite golf experience? It's tough to narrow uh, down. That's there. a fun one. I was playing golf in Malaysia once. The Malaysian Women's Open, and I was the only English-speaking person there at the final, at the closing ceremony. This isn't a sentence. I'm sorry. It's a lot of sentences. No, that's great. But the Malaysian Queen was there. And when I went to the DJ and asked him to play Dancing Queen by ABBA, she danced <laughs> with me. <laughs> so that's my favorite golfing experience. I danced wow. with the Malaysian Queen to Dancing Queen. That's so. a good claim to fame right there. <laughs> awesome. It all comes down to? I would say trust in the Lord. Awesome. We're done with the fire round, but the final two questions I have for you, is there a certain piece of best advice you've ever received? Best advice I've ever received was from my golf coach at Kent State University, Mike Moore. He told me to make my bed every morning, which sounds interesting when he said that to me. And I know there's been a book written about it since, but yeah, make your bed every morning. Then you're not going to take any shortcuts for the rest of the day. And it's stuck with me ever since. It's kind of stuck with me ever since. So make your bed every morning. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So this podcast is called Building Excellence. What does building excellence mean to you? I think building excellence is doing the small things the best you can with the resources you've been given and then uh, not taking shortcuts and then just enjoying the journey. Mm, that's great. Yeah. I, lo I love that. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your story, but also for what you're doing now with Global Golf. Now, if someone wanted to follow you or reach out, what's the best way of following you? Um, best way of following me on social media is at Sarah Global Golf. Um, and and to, if you want to get in contact with me, just message me there and we can connect, which would be great. Awesome. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks, Bailey. Hey everyone, it's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Uh, once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.